This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guys, welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader, and I'm here with Mark Adams. You know Mark Adams, but before we get to it with Mark Adams... Let's take care of what a biz. Number one is Broadbeck Ironworks, makers of the 2x72 grinder. This is a game changer operation. It's a grinder made for knife makers. It's made for metal workers, woodworkers, sculptors. If you need to move material, this is the thing to move it with. Broadbeck Ironworks are two great guys. I interviewed both uh, Vince and Ryan in, uh, last year, and it was really, really interesting to see how they started the company. If you go to broadbeckironworks.com, put in the promo code KNIFETALK200, you're going to get $200 off a any of their grinder packages. They have chassis and they have attachments and they have different packages. So you can get $200 off of that. You put in Knife Talk 100, you're going to get $100 off their sharpening system, surface belt grinder, and leather sewing machines. I love my Broadbecks. I love the the use, the um, flexibility with them all. And I highly suggest, even if you don't have, uh, you say, I, don't, I, don't, I can't get the attachments because I don't have the chassis. You don't need the chassis. Don't worry about the chassis. You need to worry about you and get yourself <laughs> just selling them broadbacks and then you can retrofit it and it'll be fine. That I promise you. So go to broadbeckironworks.com, put in the promo code KNIFETALK200 for $200 off, KNIFETALK100 for $100 off the sharpening system, surface belt grinder, and leather sewing machine. Next is Even Heat. Even Heat are the manufacturer of the finest heat treat ovens available. To go get your next oven or check one out, go to evenheat-kiln.com. Even Heat's great. I love Even Heat. I got two of them, and they never let me down. And the customer service from Even Heat is outstanding. If you're in the business of making tools or knives, or you want, especially if you want to use high heats, uh, stainless and stuff like that, you, you really you can't do it without without Even Heat. Uh, you want to get into Damascus. You want to get into uh, really intricate stuff like Damasteel, or you want to get into make Baker Forging Tool. You gotta have that. You gotta have the Even Heat. So get yourself the Even Heat, and uh, just to let you know, Broadback Ironworks is also a distributor of Even Heat, um, as is as is Maritime Knife Supply. So go get yourself one of them Even Heats and stop playing. Next is my friends in Australia, Nordic Edge. That's Nordic underscore Edge on Instagram, NordicEdge.com.au. They are awesome. It's an awesome company that supplies um, knife makers and blacksmiths. They have hammers, tongs, tools, anything you need to be a knife maker, anything you need to be a blacksmith or bladesmith. They also teach classes. I think that that's really important, especially if you're trying to get into it. They have lots of different classes for different sizes and different types of uh, uh, levels. And if you go to nordicedge.com.au, check out what they have. Their file guides are awesome. They sent me one of their file guides with the bolt-on carbides. Forget about it. It's my favorite car. It's my favorite um, file guide. It's awesome. And they're also involved with uh, Mert Tansu, and they developed the Big Mert file guide, which is, uh, I mean, the thing is, is a megadon, is a is a monster, is awesome. So if you go to knifekit.com and um, that company in the United States, they have the Big Mert file guide. So get yourself some of that at nordicedge.com.au. Many thanks to them. I want to thank Maritime Knife Supply. Lawrence Lake over at Maritime Knife Supply is fulfilling all your knife-making needs. Belts, braces, steels, crates, uh, belts, abrasive steels, kilns, forges, presses, heat treat ovens, anvils, anything you need to get started, resupply. I just got a message from Lawrence Lake, and he said, 
I heard you guys talking on a knife talk about demagnetizers. Well, I just got some. So he got some demagnetizers. He says he saw that I was making knives with uh, crazy fiber. He said, I got some of that. Whatever you need. He's got file guides. He's got he's got anything you need. You want you want to get uh, Rockwell chisels? He got them. You should definitely go check out what he's got. And if you check out MaritimeKnifeSupply.ca or MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, you can get a 10-pack of uh, belt, abrasive belts and you get 10% off. So definitely check out what he's going on. He's very involved in the knife making community, heavily heavily dutied into the New England School of Metalwork, and he has all the TR Maker equipment. And if you're in the United States or in Canada, he's going to get it to you as fast as anybody else. So definitely check out what's going on for Lawrence. He's awesome. I tell you what, I can mention one thing. I can mention one thing on this podcast or on Knife Talk. He's in my DMs immediately. And he's telling me, I already have that. So definitely go check it out. And if you have something, if you're in Canada and you're saying, you know what, I need this, reach out to him and say, you know what, this would be really great for your company. So definitely talk with him. He's a great guy. Lawrence Lake, Maritime Knife Supply. Next is my friends at Trojan Horse Forge. Trojan Horse Forge are the makers of the stable rail knife finishing vice. They're built in the heart of Texas. The vices are designed to take your handle finishing to a whole new level. And not just your handle finishing. You can put both some plates onto the front, and they have rubber all over the place, and you can uh, safely hold your knife blade into the vise, and you can hand sand it. We have a couple of them, and every one of our knives goes on that vise twice. Once to do the hand sanding, which is very comfortable, and then we turn it around once the handle scales are on. It needs to be some finishing, and we use it for the the handle finishing. And I'm told the boys over at Trojan Horse Forge gave me a call and says they have new stuff coming soon. New stuff coming soon. So I'm going to tell you all about that when it, when I when I hear more about it. But uh, if you're thinking to yourself, well, the vice sounds great, but I can make integral knives. No problem. You just move the plate over a little bit and it holds on to that bolster. Ah, I can't use that. I make curved knives. I make kukuris. Don't worry about that. They can You can move the plate and, and it'll adjust for that too. So go check out what these boys are doing over at TrojanHorseForge.com. They got plant payment plans too. So don't worry about that. All right, so get yourself one. Listen, the people who have the 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 Trojan Horse Forge knife finishing vice do not ever feel that they've regretted it. They don't regret it. So get yourself one of them. Uh, TrojanHorseForge.com. Don't fool around, guys. Seriously. Next is oh, Coy Baker, Baker Forge and Tool, BakerForge.com. I tell you what. I just got a package from uh, Koi Baker, Baker Forge. They sent me up. They sent me a, 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 a grip of steel. They sent me a bar, a tsunami, a firestorm, Chevron copper mine, raindrop copper mine, ripple, riptide. These, these steels, this steel is so beautiful and it's so like breathtaking. It's going to make sure your customers or, your, or just you, or let's say you're not even in business, you just want to make something slick. These are, this is the steel that's going to make people turn their heads and say, what is going on over there? It, and it's easy to work with. It's like usually, usually some of the stuff, they're, they're all that copper mask and all that, it's got, a, it's got a, a high carbon steel core, and then it's got a shim of, a, of copper or bronze, like a bronze Mai 2, and then they have the, then they have the uh, Damascus on the outside jacket, and God damn it, it's so good, and it's so easy to work with, and... The heat treating super easy. Everything comes annealed, so it's it's not going to chew up your saw blades. It's very very user friendly and approachable for everybody. And because of that copper shim or the the bronze shim, you can see where your core is, and it makes life a lot easier. It's kind of like too easy for it. 
it's too easy for it to be so beautiful and it looks like it's super duper complicated and it is beautiful but it's easy to work with and when you come when it comes to finishing oh you know what you use when you come to finish that stuff you heat treated it you ground it you hand sanded it mark have you do you know about etchings you know about them uh not really no all right so when you got a piece of steel a knife especially uh damascus or something like that you got to stick it in an etchant and it's usually ferric chloride with some water, and the ferric chloride eats away at the high carbon steel, and then the high nickel steel is silver, and that's the way you get that contrast between the the stuff in Damascus. Well, those boys over there made a, their own, and and you can't just buy ferric chloride and just dump it in a jug and stick your knife in. It ain't gonna do anything. You gotta you have mixture ratios. So they figured out a mixture ratio that works best for them, and they call it gator piss. Oh, I've heard you mention that on Knife Talk. Yeah. Gator fucking piss. I mean, not gator fucking piss. It's gator piss. Gator piss is awesome. And they sent me a jug of it, and I can't wait to use it. And trust me, you're going to see a reel of the next knife I make from Gator a ba- uh, for Baker Forge and Tool, and there will you, will you will not see a jug of gator piss in that reel because I cannot have my customers thinking, how can he charge me that kind of money, and then he's fooling around with it. Na- Don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. The gator piss is good shit, and it's good, and your customers just don't have to know about it. So if you go to BakerForge.com, get yourself some of that gator piss, put in the promo code full blast for 10% off. And if you're in Europe, you're in business, guys, DIYEurope.eu, that guy over there, he's got a, a he's got a grip of gator piss, too. He got a few jugs of gator piss. He'll hold not, there's nobody in Europe who got more gator piss than my boy over at DIY Europe. So get yourself some of that. He figured it out. They worked out figuring out how to get it past the EU. I mean, those motherfuckers of the EU, they have never even heard of an alligator before. So what the hell? Don't worry about it. But they have heard of piss. So go get yourself some of that gator piss over at DIYEurope.eu. And if you're in the United States, go uh, get some BakerForge.com. And if you're in the EU, if you're, you know what? Now that I think about it, if you go to DIYEurope.eu and you order some gator piss, you better put in promo code full blast and see what that 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 motherfucker made a joke to me, and I don't know if I felt how good about it. So you put in full blast and see what he does. And if he doesn't do anything, that's not my problem. That's your problem. So get yourself some of that gator piss and some of that Baker Forge and Tool stuff. So that's that. I'm with you 100 percent guys. You are with you are with me, and I am with you. And last but not least, last but not least. Total Boat, baby. Total Boat are the makers of adhesives, paints, primers, polishing compounds. For boaters and DIYers, they understand that you, they need your, they, you need your projects to go smoothly. That's why they're constantly finding ways to make their original products better, easier to use, more sustainable, and less expensive. They even tinker with the packaging from time to time to make it more user-friendly. Uh, their real-world know-how is what separates them from the giant chemical conglomerates that sets their stuff apart. I love their stuff. I've been using their two-part epoxy, the, to- the Total Boat High Performance two-part epoxy, and it's great. It's great stuff. It- it's really very easy to use. The pump system is very good. It's very dependable, and they have dyes. And I'm talking to the knife-making community. I know most of these people using this this Total Boat are those ham and egger woodworkers you know what i'm saying um ham and egger woodworkers those guys who who get they they just pose off all their splinters all day but they're not really fooling around with you know real metal work they're playing you know with the river tables and their fine furniture don't, don't worry about them i'm talking to you knife makers who work for a living who work hard Get yourself some of that total boat and see what you think. Definitely get yourself some of that two-part epoxy. Get yourself some of that UV cure and uh, some of their thick set epoxy for them for all your projects. 
You know, if you want to be like Derek from Malden, Keith Johnson, Keith Mitchell, or, or any of them other Keiths, Keith Decent, feel free. Or you want to be like me and you want to use some, you want to be a knife maker and you want to use some of that total boat, try it out. Give yourself some of that total boat and 10% off with the promo code FULLBLAST10, total boat, baby. That was fun. I do like doing my reads, but not as much as I do like talking to my guests. And this week's guest is someone that I've known for a while. I've had a lot of nice conversations with. I've been dying to get him on. Mark Adams, you know him because he's the guy who takes all the wonderful pictures of other makers at Maker Camp, at WorkbenchCon, anytime. He's very involved with the maker community, making sure that you look good. He makes you look good. He makes you look good. He made me look good. Mark Adams, Mark Adams Pictures, what's going on? Uh, I'm just, I'm wondering how you don't have a coffee sponsor with all that energy you've got. I, you know, it's funny that you say that. I actually have been, I've been off coffee. I had a, I had a slight issue, a couple, I've been going through with, with uh, family members and um, I, for some, and my, my health, I've been, you know, turning 50 in a, not too long and I'm trying to get my, I've been the past 10 years, I've been trying to get my life together in the last three years, I've been like doing a really good job. Well, you I, sound a lot more relaxed. I was, I was going to tell you that, but you didn't want to talk about that off the air. So what's, what's going on to that? Well, I started, I started getting heart palpitations, like yeah. I'd say maybe three months ago. And then I wanted to take care of it. And my doctor, who, who I know, he's a friend, he wouldn't see me for like a month. So I thought, well, what is he going to tell me? He's going to tell me I got to stop drinking coffee. So I, apparently I was drinking too much coffee. So I cut up coffee. <laughs> I, was, right. I was, well, what my, my, my wife would make coffee in the morning. We'd both have a cup and then she'd leave. And then I would, I would feel like, well, it's wasteful to throw the rest of it out. So right. I just fill up a tumbler and bring it to work and drink it all day. Well, turns out I was drinking way too much. I was probably drinking like a pint and a half of coffee all day or something, two pints of coffee. And it was like, and it was giving me heart palpitations. So I cut it out completely for two months. Heart palpitations went away. And now I'm like down to three quarters of a cup a day. So that seems like a normal amount. I don't think coffee's good for you, Mark. Oh, don't, don't say those words. I'll hang up right now. Well, I mean, I told it to my wife. My wife is like, uh, really like, if you, if, um, she's in the healthcare industry. Now I explain what her job is like. Is like if you ever see those like Vietnam movies where the uh, helicopters landing in the hot zone, and then these young rookies are getting off the, the helicopter, and then you see bullets are flying everywhere, and you see this one guy like standing waiting for him, wearing like a vest and no shirt on. He's just gonna, you're all gonna die. My wife is the, you're all gonna die. <laughs> she's right. she don't fuck around and so she's got heart palpitations too and i said listen hill maybe you might want to consider that coffee thing and she says i'll take the call i'll take the heart palpitations if you don't mind so she don't give a shit so yeah i said the same thing to her she was like no it ain't gonna happen i mean i'll have a nice coffee nice cappuccino in the morning um you know because i've you know, got a nice little setup on the counter make my own and uh I can really only have one of those. And right. if I have one after two o'clock, then I'm not sleeping all night. So it, You know what's crazy is that one of my guests, a good friend of mine, Henry Hyde, who's awesome, this um, knife maker down in Baltimore, he sent me a, 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 a container of Baltimore coffee. And I was like, oh, the label looked great. I mean, I don't give it, you know, honestly, I'm not a coffee snob. I'll drink whatever you give me. And uh, I made a cup of it. And then I was like, oh, this is really good. So I had like a couple cups of it. I was like shot out of a cannon and it's almost <laughs> to the point where it scared me. Right. It scared me because I was just like, I am way too, I'm way too jacked up right now to do anything. Well, that first taste is free. 
the t- the first taste is free. The first taste is free, and it doesn't ha- hurt that it helps you go to the bathroom right afterwards. <laughs> right. You know, loosens you up. You know, primes you for the day. Right. Get you ready for the shop. So you you've been you know everyone knows your pictures. Your pictures have been synonymous in the in the in the in the in the maker community. And you just and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to go with this. When did you first started getting into photography? Uh, I, I started taking uh, classes in high school, so I took a, an elective as a freshman, and really uh, decided it was the only thing I was good at. So uh, just kind of I went I went down that that mistake of being a starving artist, and uh, but I you know I love it. Uh, you know I, I obviously I have a passion for it, and, and I really enjoy sharing that with people. So it's a, a great way to meet meet uh, all the makers and, and kind of get uh, every year, you know, touch base with them and get a fresh picture for them. And, and uh, that's always really a blessing that, that people want to get their picture taken. What did, what was it in high school that you thought this is for me? It's not uh, trigonometry. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, there you go. No, I mean, I, I love <laughs> just the, just the idea of, I mean, okay. So I know all the young listeners out there don't know what film is, Ugh. but we used to, uh, you know, go into this dark room and shake it in some chemistry, and then we'd pull it out and dry it, and then get these these prints out of it. And uh, it was just, you know, it was like magic at that point. Um, Do you think? And you it, could... it really was just something that was that was really fun, and it gave you, you know, you could get on the field of the football game and the baseball game and get get good access. So it was like in a front row seat to everything. And uh, it's that's one of the best things about it. That's what you just said kind of just jogged a thought. Yes. If you're taking pictures, people want their pictures taken, so you get extra access. Yeah. Could you describe how photography works in three sentences? <laughs> uh, well, ba- basically, you try to take the world around you and make it match what fits in your in your eyes. No, but like what in, I mean, what I, mean is I think like, you I think you want the light that you're seeing in your head to come through the camera and be recorded. But so I just basically. don't understand how they figured out is it there are mirrors involved? How did they figure out how was photography created? What was how did it how did I don't even really understand how it works. The uh, mechanism behind photography. Well like so like so your camera obscura um, and then some of the like the traditional techniques some of the painters used way back in the day before there was film with the um, kind of projection of a, of a real life image on a, on a blank wall. Um, and then you just, they were able to develop a medium that was able to capture that and then have a chemical reaction. And what was more exposed to light had more reactivity. So kind of an oxidation kind of process. So if you imagine like really quick rust, um, that would kind of be where the water is replaced by light. I mean, it is incre- I mean, if you think about it, it is an incredible invention. I mean, I think it's, uh, I mean, I love it so much because it doesn't require that I have to draw and right. I'm not, uh, not a skilled draftsman. Um, but I still want to be able to express, um, kind of the joy that I have with the people that I meet. And that's just the easiest way when I take a portrait, cause I'm able to just talk to people and find out what's going on. And, um, so all the technology aside, I think for me, it's just basically, you know, aperture and shutter speed and that's it. The concept of photography has revolutionized society. 
without yes. question. Without, I mean, uh, there's no question about it. I mean, it's like no. probably one of the, if you had the top 10 most important inventions in modern society, photography's got to be top five. I, I mean, absolutely. Kind of like the printing press where you're able to share things right. across the world that you weren't able to share before. One of the interesting things, I have a number of friends. I went to, well, actually, in terms of photography, I never took a photography class, but I did help a friend. My dad, when I was very young, he had a dark room and he used to develop film. And then I went to help a friend develop film, which I thought was really, really cool. I hated, there was an art major that I was up against who was uh -huh. a photographer. And I resented him because we were all going for distinction, which is high honors. Oh, and right. I was... I was furious that he had gotten distinction because I felt like he's just taking a fucking picture. He just clicked, <laughs> and I'm like, I'm uh, making. Are we gonna get into this debate? Well, this no, early? no, no. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fucking beat your brakes in, and then I'm gonna, I'm gonna come back. Don't worry, just hold what you got. I got you. Don't worry, Mark. I ain't gonna <laughs> motherfuck you right now. Don't worry. I, I got, know. got You're you. You're gonna hold off that. I got you. I don't. I got you. So I was so mad because I thought this motherfucker is just taking pictures, and I'm making stuff, and I'm, uh -huh. I'm expressing myself with this medium. And I should get distinction and this guy shouldn't. And I was like, I was so, I was, I was really unreasonable when I was yeah. 20, 21. I, I mean, I was beyond, I was good looking and unreasonable and it was arrogant. And it was, so I was not a lot has changed. Not a lot. Still, as, you're well, still uh, good looking and a I'm little not bit as cocky. good looking anymore, but I'll tell you what, yeah. I'm not, and I'm not as arrogant anymore. But like, if I knew 21 year old Jeff, I would have slapped him around a little bit, but I was <laughs> right. furious because I thought like, this isn't. And then as I got older and I started to meet other, one of my college friends is, and his name is Jonathan Manley, and he is um, probably the biggest uh, photographer for in the hip hop world, hip hop community. Yeah. Jonathan Manley, he worked for um, the famous the famous photographer in New York, uh, Richard Avedon. He worked for Avedon, uh, right. uh -huh. and and then and then my good friend Nico Tavernisi, set photographer to the stars. He. When I started to really spend time with photographers, I started to, I changed my opinion completely because what it is, is like every, it's not just taking a picture. It's every, you're, there's an incredible fingerprint that a photographer has that when you look at someone's photograph, you know who did it. And that's where it becomes this incredible, it's more about the artist than it is the, uh, the piece itself. Uh, I mean, I think, I mean, hopefully the photographer has the ability to develop their own style and their own voice. And just like every other artist has their tools, if they can kind of connect with it on a, on a very deep level, I think it's, it's pretty amazing when you can see how someone else sees the world. Um, but, I, I mean, I'm not sure. I mean, I, you could, you know, maybe it's just the photographers that I know where we're all kind of lone wolfy. Right. Um, we kind of go our own path and we don't really, unless we are kind of trapped in a room, it's like, we kind of prefer not to spend too much time with each other. I'm not surprised. It just, and I, and I, you know, and in some ways it's kind of, my buddy was telling me that he's signed up for something that he's like one of those group photography events where you're surrounded by 50 photographers who've all paid like a hundred dollars and you get a model and make it and everyone's taking pictures at the exact same time. I could not imagine a worse scenario. Why? Just, just because everybody's trying to get in the same place. And I, I enjoy it when, if I'm with friends, but sometimes you're, you take a great shot and you're like, oh, I got that one. And then you see somebody coming right behind you and they're like, take the exact same shot. And you're like, well, all right. 
so but it, but at the same time you know i was talking to uh when i was talking to nico he he's a set photographer and the most yeah. amazing thing is that he used to say to me he's like you know thank god there's a union because if there wasn't a union for set photographers like there has to be a set photographer in every film yeah. you know the directors would just say well we're just going to pull stills from the dailies and then uh -huh. that'll be enough and what he would have to do would be to what Nico has to do when he's he's just getting off of Joker two, he's been on another one that I'm not even allowed to talk about. I'm so fucking mad about. It. It's like he's been on unbelievable the top movies of the year. He he'll be on them, right. and he says I have to. He's a, he was in he was doing the post, the post um, with uh, it was with uh, Tom Hanks and uh, you know what I'm talking about is about the Washington Post was it Tom uh -huh. Hanks. Uh, was it Mark Ruffalo or no? That was something. That was no, no, no. Yeah, Mark Ruffalo was in it, and I think Meryl Streep was in it, and it was okay. and it was about the Washington Post. He uh -huh. said I had to like crawl into like weird spaces, and I'm like I had to find I had to find different spots that people just that wasn't going to be that other people I wasn't going to be in people's way, and he found these incredible shots and uh -huh. you showed them to Steven yeah. Spielberg and then Martin Scorsese and all these people, and you're like, wow, I really like what you did because he had to kind of like work within the confines of. Um, not being able to have all the trappings of what you know would make a perfect you know set well i mean i think and that's one of the things that really uh i came to realize and i've realized this a number of times but i think it was really instilled in me with the the first year of showing up at maker camp um because i had my full truck of stuff i had what i'd probably bring to a studio and you know tons of packs tons of lights everything and just based upon the environmental conditions of shooting in a wind tunnel uh, with one outlet, it kind of makes me pare down to my, my bare essentials and really kind of focus on why I'm there and what I want out of the pictures, which is the energy of the person. And I, I want them to look good, but I need to only use one light with it. And so it really kind of takes me back to the basics and the bare bones, and, and it doesn't have me uh, showing off with how good I can light. It just makes me focusing and getting the emotion of, of what's there. Is that why in most of the images you do in all these events, you go with black and white? Uh, I mean, black and white is kind of a different choice. Um, I, I'd started a couple of years before that kind of wanting to do more black and white stuff because all the stuff I had been doing professionally was all in color. And I'd always enjoyed black and white. It had always been kind of my first love. Um, and I think people always look great in black and white in, in group. Uh, if you take all the pictures and you put them together, that way, like somebody wearing an orange jacket doesn't jump out and have more priority than somebody wearing like huh. a black jacket. So, and everybody's skin, if somebody's got sunburn, or if they've got like pimples or whatever, it doesn't really show in the black and white as much. So they're not self-conscious of it. So for you, it's more along the lines of, it's not just one picture, it's the whole... It's, it's the, the whole body of work. It's yeah. the whole body of work. Mm -hmm. That makes it far more interesting because like, I know that like... The first year you did Maker Camp, I think everyone was like, everyone's coming to me, is he going to charge us? Is he going to charge us? And I'm like, I'm like, I have no idea. And then you, you take the pictures and you have them, you put their email in and then you send them right off. And yeah. it was just a very generous thing. But then when you look at all the work in and of it all together, it isn't just like, though it isn't just like going to like a bar mitzvah and getting a picture in a, in a, in a booth. Don't ask me if how I know that, but, it, yeah, right. but, it, but yeah. it's like, it's all, it is really, you're kind of capturing a whole community. And then when you pare it down to being black and white, and then you kind of cut a lot of those things and you're 
going with yeah i mean when you go to see mark at maker camp i mean you got the wind pushing everything back and he's at the mercy of whatever the temperature is and he's got a lot it, it has gotten a couple chilly nights that's for sure and you've you know you're you gotta you know now everybody's running over to you you got a line of people who want to get pictures and then they're they're like goofballs like uh jimmy and derek who need to get a hundred pictures of themselves and john ariani all you guys just hopping in grabbing people and taking more pictures well, John, uh, you know, he loves to see his own face. He loves to, you know, show up and get a, get a good picture taken. He always gets every... a good picture taken. He, he uh, does. He says, try. Everyone, did, you, here's the thing. You don't make people look bad. And is that the, no. jo- is that the, job, of, is that the job of the photographer? Um, in, the well, Instagram, I mean, it, 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 in the Instagram world? In the Instagram I mean, it, world? I mean, and, I mean, Instagram is a great medium. It's a great way to distribute it. And it's a great way to, commu- you know, present the community. Um, but I've never come at photography in a, in a way that uh, I wanted to make somebody look bad. Um, I just wanted it to be honest and I didn't want, uh, cause I started in high school taking pictures of family and friends and stuff. And those are all people you like, all people you you know, love and care about. And so you want to kind of express why you care about them visually, because that's what the medium you've chosen. So they kind of just continued that, that thought. What is the telltale sign? of a mark adams picture when you're getting to when you're showing up to wherever you're showing up and you know what you in your mind you know what you're supposed to do what's the first thing you're looking for um i, I mean for me it's kind of if, if it's the portrait scenario if it's the the work that that most people are familiar with uh, in that regard um i i want it to be the only person i'm i'm considering their opinion on is the person whose picture I'm taking. Hmm. After that, I don't care. If they're happy with the picture that they've given, if they feel like they see themselves in that, then that's worth you know the five days of work. If one person says that to me, then that's worth all the time it takes. Because you're very generous with your time. I mean, you are taking pictures morning, noon, and night the whole yeah. time, yep. and you're not charging anybody. You're not you know you're not hawking anybody in China. You're, this is a very generous thing that you're doing, and you're not sick of it, and you're very nice to everybody. Oh, I love it. It's it's I Do look, you? it's one of the best weekends of the year. I love Are you it. kidding I'm passionate me? About it. Yeah, that you're the it. best weekend of the year? It, it's it's in the top top three weekends of the year. Holy shit, dude! You are yeah. a believer. Oh, I mean, I, I I can't believe you. I can't believe you haven't thought that before. I I love that thing. I know I you do. It's it's spiritual. Maker Camp is spiritual. I was felt reborn last year. It was amazing. Spiritual. Yep. Jesus Christ! I'm going that far. Hey, wait a second. Hold the phone. You just got back from Nepal. I did. Tell me yep. about speaking to spiritual. Were you there before or after the Dalai Lama asked to suck on that kid's tongue? <laughs> I, I think I was, I was there uh, before. Um, I mean, I mean, yeah. we, let's get the fucking elephant out of the room. I mean, yeah. can you think of anybody who has like, I mean, I said this on Knife Talk. If you were to take all religions and spiritualities sure. and put them uh-huh. in like a tournament style bracket, <laughs> yes, you that would be, to, he would be the last one you think of. He gets to the, I mean, you think Buddhism and Dalai Lama, they are getting, in terms of piety, they're turning, turning into, like, of, of, like, people who are, you know, religions that are as inoffensive as possible. He's right. making it to the final four. He's going to the championship. <laughs> and then there's this kid on with a camera on him, Mr. Enlightened. He's so enlightened, I don't even know the camera's rolling. And he says, hey, baby, why don't you suck on this tongue? I mean, you can't. And he, he single-handedly may have ruined Buddhism for people. <laughs> so, I mean, knowing yeah. that now, does that, does that affect your trip to Nepal? No, no, because that's Tibet. 
Oh, right, right, right. But yeah. he's involved in Tibet, isn't he? In, in Nepal and Tibet, they're they're kissing cousins. Uh, uh, I mean, they're they're very close. But so t- the, uh, all jokes aside, tell me about yeah. your trip to Nepal. Uh, so so a couple of years ago. Okay, so to to go back to kind of the essential core of if you're if you want to know what I'm about, um, it's photography, it's motorcycles. Um, and those two things are things that I am so passionate about. And um, I, you know, rode across, I, you know, I left California because I, I wanted to find a, a different existence for myself. And so I hopped on my motorcycle. I rode through Cleveland, stopped there for a while, uh, then rode up and continued to ride a little bit more and then came back and finally moved to Cleveland. Um, and one of my buddies there had gone to Nepal in 2018 and had loved it and he because you've got to understand that i so i ride kind of adventure style bikes so it's a kind of a dual sport uh, off-road on-road kind of bike and i showed up and this this guy at the garage who was uh smoking a cigar standing by the door if you if you're at that garage you know exactly who he is and he's an amazing guy one of my one of my best friends now um but he's your he grew up on um some dirt bikes and he also grew up on like the harley thing and the street bikes and he i come rolling in there and he's like what the fuck are you like i'm wearing my full you know space space suit and my helmet and everything and i'm looking like i walked out of a spaceship you know and um so then he decided he's like oh let me dig a little more into that and then uh another buddy that we know he runs tours um with uh, this company called motorcycle sherpa and does a great job. He does tours in India. He does tours in Mongolia. He does tours in Nepal. And he's been doing it for a number of years now. Um, and so my buddy took that trip and he kind of was found a, a love of exploration with motorcycles that he really hadn't had in a long time. Right. And so he's like, hey, I'm going to go back now that I, I've had more experience and I've you know got much more you know, the technical side of things. Because those roads are pretty pretty rough there's some pretty challenging uh roads there and so he's like well you're gonna you should have time you're gonna have time this this february so why don't you go and it's gonna be once in a lifetime and my birthday was coming up so i kind of treated myself to to a trip kind of a once in a lifetime thing and uh we rode for i don't know 11 12 days something like that oh my god um, out of Kathmandu, then up into the like the lower part of the the himalayas um i think we rode up to like fourteen thousand feet. Um, and then uh, came back to Kathmandu and then had a flight up to, to see the Himalayas where you could, you know, they fly you over and you get, they tell you histories of each one of the peaks in there. And then you, you come back down and you land. And um, it really was a, an amazing place. Uh, incredibly uh, wonderful people, um, but very different from my, you know, daily life here. Yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of, was it, did you, did you see that, you know, you and McGregor did that whole documentary where he. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I think that that was one of the, the turning points in adventure uh, motorcycling that exposed it to everybody. Um, and yeah, I watched that with a buddy of mine, but I was at a, at a point in my life where uh, I, I didn't have uh, somebody that supported riding motorcycles. So uh, I wasn't able to do that. And then. I left and then was able to get back into motorcycles, which has always been a passion of mine. Um, and then I just, you know, any day I'm on a bike, I'm happy no matter what I'm doing, no matter where I'm riding. So, so if you're listening to this, you and McGregor and his friend, Charlie, you remember? Uh, 
Borman. Charlie Borman yeah. did two doc- around, did yeah. two documentaries. One where they where they motorcycled around the world, where they go uh-huh. across the globe, yep. and then the other one was they went down through uh, Africa. Yep. And they're amazing because the real amazing part is the fact that the goddamn motorcycles are breaking down every five minutes. And and <laughs> well, but the other thing is like they they do have a fair amount of support on those trips. And right. Not to, you know, I mean, they're riding them and they're doing a great job. And you know, and God help them, they've spread the the gospel of motorcycling far and wide. Um, but you know, there's plenty of people out there scrapping away and just riding a single bike by themselves out in the middle of nowhere. I mean, there's plenty of people on YouTube that are doing it now if you want to track them down. My friend uh, Tom Robotner, before he started Foreign Teen Kitchen Knives, he bought a motorcycle in India. And then oh, rode yeah, I heard it. But the, he, he learned to ride it there, too, at the same yeah, time, right? maniac. Yeah. Decided yeah. to learn how to ride it and ride across India. So yeah. when you're driving, you're riding on these. Oh, well, real, real quick, before we ahead. get past Tomer stuff, I love his design sense. He has an amazingly beautiful design sense. He's... Tomer Botner, Florentine Kitchen Knives, is a very close friend, and he and I are, are right now, we talk a lot, but we talk the most now while we're watching the Knicks. He's in, he's in Barcelona. That is the most fun I have, is I'm watching the Knicks. The Knicks are in the playoffs, and they're, they're whipping the asses of the Cavs. The playoffs of what? The whipping of NBA, the NBA. Oh, and they're whipping well, the ass. What, I don't know what that is. Is that a sports team? It's basketball. The New York <laughs> Knicks are whipping the ass of the Cleveland Cavaliers. Thank you very much. So God bless you, Cleveland. I know you're, you've been there for a long time, but it ain't going to happen. And uh, Tomer is in is Barcelona. He's up all night at 1 o'clock in the morning watching these goddamn Knicks. And we're texting away at each other for the past few years. We've been texting away watching the Knicks game. That is the most fun. But he is quite talented. I mean, his design sense is in the knife game is and business sense is one of the best. And I'm very fortunate to have him as a friend. But he's a very interesting character. Now, is he ever coming to the States to make her camp or anything like that? He is going to, he's trying to get over here. I, before the pandemic, they were trying to get over here. And I don't know if, he, I, you know, the maker thing is, is like, there's a lot of people who are just like, yeah, it's fun and everything, but I got like things to do. Yeah, business to yeah, I gotta, yeah. You know, so it's like, yeah. it is, it is, if, if maker camp was any farther away, I just couldn't do it. You know, so right. it's like, it, there's a lot of that. But I think that Tomer wants to hopefully come soon. And I know that I promised the next time he comes to New York, we're going to go to the Madison Square Garden and see the Knicks. But I'm right. going to go see him in a month and a half or so, so in Barcelona. But yeah, his design sense is like, in terms of in the knife game, I don't think that there are too many people who are as creative, uh, uh, who are as as visionary and and as reasonable as he is. I mean, he is you know, that whole the art versus craft is very interesting because his work is the most distinctive in the culinary knife game, but his mind is the probably the most conservative in terms of the business game. So it is a really interesting a duality. Well, um, on a on a business go point, ahead. I just I just came up with an idea. So, what go if ahead. we got if the people, some of the people that are attending Maker Camp, if we got together a group order and he just hand delivered the knives so that help him pay for the trip? It would have to be a lot of knives. <laughs> you'd have to. I mean, you'd be. I mean, to get him. I mean, that's a taller. I mean, his knives are not that expensive. <laughs> it's yeah. not like a. It's not like a Mareko Mamasi knife. So, yeah. like, you'd have to. 
you'd have to get like a pallet load of them. I imagine we're <laughs> to get him over to New York. But that was a thought, you know. Yeah, you know, of course. Every little bit helps. All the time. Listen, yeah. you know, Maker Camp is great, and and uh, and they do a really good job, and it is. It's a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm very fortunate that I get to hang out with. I get to hang out with friends, so it's it's a lot of fun. Um, well, and you're a celebrity there. You sign autographs. I know that's a great thing for you to do in the morning I'm at breakfast. I'm just not a celebrity. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> there's that, that 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 whole concept doesn't exist. Fame is not a thing. I don't buy into any of that. Um, but getting back to the motorcycle thing, the traveling yeah. for 12 days on the motorcycle, uh-huh. I have been on a motorcycle know, once, twice. Okay. I mean, not enough that I could even remember. Like, I don't, uh-huh. I don't even, you know, I'm not, motorcycles aren't for me. Like, I'm just, sure. not, and, and I, you know, can I tell you yeah. my honest opinion of why? Because uh-huh. you gotta wear special clothes and you gotta be in a special posture and you can't sit, you can't just throw your pants on and your slippers and go down to the store you can't have a coffee and apparently you, you haven't ridden in the midwest where the some states don't have helmet locks I, my, that's that. my uh my father-in-law is a cardiologist in wisconsin and uh-huh. he was very involved with trying when they when they first re- repealed it so you didn't have to wear a helmet yeah. he says the good thing about it is, is i'm not gonna have to worry so much about blood donation because right. he's, uh, you're gonna, I'm gonna be, we're gonna be using a lot of them, but um, I just for me it's like I want to relax. I feel like when you're riding a oh, motorcycle, you have I to mean, be. I mean, but it's so oh so relaxing. I can't. So believe, I can't. I'm sorry. I mean, I'm sure it is, but I find that you're probably in a position of more terror all the time. Oh, absolutely not. No, no. It's, it's one of the calmest, calmest things you. But you got hurt your. But isn't it like stress your back out? No, no. Uh, the you adventure bikes stiff. that I ride are a little are a little more s- straight up and down sitting, which is another reason I, I like to ride them because a lot of times you're standing up because you can move around on them a lot more than a sport bike. But you can't or drink a coffee or, or or drink a soda or like a nice <laughs> no, seltzer I, water, nice cool bev. Can't have a nice cool no, bev. That that is true, but I can always ride fifty miles to get a coffee. That seems like a long time. It seems like uh, a long. I don't know. I mean, I, God bless. I, but, but what to me is is that's always been like. I, I would say to my kids, she's like, "How come you, my my daughter's? How come you never rode a motorcycle?" I'm like, "Because I can't sit here and have a conversation with you when I'm on a motorcycle. You know, I can't just like roll the windows down and wear a short sleeve shirt and relax. And I got to wear a house. Is, is there stuff. something that that really centers you and relaxes you as as a recreation? That's a good question. I used to love fishing. Until I really decided catch and release is really super duper unnecessary. There's a level of cruelty to it that just makes no sense to me whatsoever. And when so you're a catching club kind of guy. I'm a, not a fishing guy. Like I'll yeah. if I if I'm going to fish, I got to eat it. You know, it's like I'm not really. Right. I'm I've become much more like I be I've got be honest with you. With the exception of the sucking on the tongue, I want to be more like the Dalai Lama. <laughs> I want to be a little <laughs> bit more enlightened. You know what I'm saying? So sure. like I you know I thought I think about everything and what relaxes me. The weirdest thing right now is my wife and I were dealing with our daughters going off to college. My mother is kind of mm, circling the drain to a certain degree. We're dealing with like the issues of life as we're both about to turn 50 and we're doing it with grace and dignity. The Uh one thing that we're both bonding over, which is very strange, is like baseball, like Yankees baseball. Like it's like this... I was talking to my dentist and she's like, what, you don't have any, I said, I don't drink coffee anymore. I don't smoke cigarettes. I don't even drink booze anymore. She's like, well, what vices do you have? And I said, I watch Yankees, I I listen to the Yankees. And she's like, that's not a vice, but my wife and I are kind of bonding over, it's like this fantasy world where we don't have to worry about any problems. 
So it's okay. like this. So in terms of relaxing, I mean, I, I yeah, I mean, it's just like being at home and trying to, I'm, I feel like the time I have left with my daughter before she goes to college in August is right. so limited that I'm really not allowing myself to fully relax and I'm, in, I'm relaxing just watching her like today she's got a flag football game in a couple hours and I'm looking forward to watching her play so like relaxing to me is a totally different situation now like nowadays and I've said this before my wife and I my wife and I've been together almost 25 years it's been a long time been a, probably even more than that I don't even remember frankly if 1995 you do the math she when we wake up in the morning now we the first thing we say to each other is what hurts you <laughs> when you wake up, what hurts you? Ah, I don't know, this this is creaky. This feels like shit. And you know, is it going to get any worse? Is it going to get any better? And we come, we kibitz about like what hurts you. So it's like you know everything so far so good. But well, well I mean, I think that's that's just a part of living life, I guess. Oh, I, I mean, I absolutely, I feel the same thing because if I think that that one thing that people may or may not understand about photography is it is. A hundred percent, a blue collar, lift heavy, move a lot of shit. Yeah, break your back, kind of a job. It's all set up. Yeah, set up, tear down, moving shit. Yeah, it's all lifting and turning. Well, you know that's you know that's very much like a, what a welder does. People yeah. think that welding is just pointing and shooting the welding gun, but it isn't. It's all set up. Back to I want to get back to the motorcycle thing. So oh. you're 12, 12 days. How long are you on the motorcycle every day? Um, that it, it was kind of like some days are a little bit longer, some days are shorter, and it really wasn't that uh, intensive as far as the distance went, um, because the roads that you're riding on, you're kind of limited just by the conditions to probably 45 miles an hour at the tops. Some of the some of the paved highway stuff, we were probably getting up into the 60s, um, and the it's hard to explain until you actually live through it where imagine two schools of fish swimming at each other at full speed and then just gently shifting to the side to miss each other. And so that was the, the experience of most travel there. And it was amazing. It was so much in the flow and so calming just to kind of be surrounded by that energy of just dodging between buses and, all this kind of stuff. It was it was amazing. And how many? And it was a great great group of people. How many people were in the group? Uh, there was eleven riders, and then there's the staff people. I think they had five staff people. So when you guys were riding around, they must have thought it was like the fucking Secret Service or some like Maharaja uh, no, or something no, like that. No, 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 no. We yeah, um, because we the the company provides bikes there. Um, so Motorcycle Sherpa has bikes that they. They bring in, they, they do all the prep, they do all the, the maintenance on it. So you don't have to bring anything but your gear that you want to ride in. Um, and so you show up, you kind of pick your bike for the, the trip, and you kind of kind of personalize it, add your, your stuff to it, your, you know, make sure your bags and everything fit. Um, and then you set off in this kind of this orchestrated dance where they've got a, a guy that's leading it, and a lot of times that's Bear, who owns the company, is a great guy. Um, and then He'll stop at a turn. He'll point. The next rider will stop at that point. If you're if you're one of the people, you stop, and then you kind of direct the people to whichever direction they're going to go. And then that person comes in as the last person in line. And so it's everybody's relying on everybody else. There's <laughs> a lot of teamwork in it. Um, and everybody, this particular trip had a really great group of 
of writers that were all about the same skill set. So nobody was kind of waiting for anybody else. Um, everybody was kind of pushing everybody and encouraging everybody. Um, and the and the bikes are what we would consider in America a small bike. They're about 400 cc's. But there it's ideal. Any bigger bike, you probably go shooting off a cliff. Because some, some of these roads have just been cut by a bulldozer, and there's no guardrail. There never will be a guardrail. Oh. And it's a 600-foot drop down this road. Oh, my God. And so... And there's a bus coming the other way, or oh. you're scooting around a bus. And it's, I mean, it is a bus and maybe two feet of distance. So you're kind of pushed up against the wall, and the bus kind of squeezes by you. And, um, but you feel alive. It's, it was just, I mean, every day you get off riding and you stop for, for lunch, and you're just like, oh, I go, did you see that? Or did you do this? Or, oh, that was awesome there. And uh, it was just, yeah, it's, it's a, a great way to, to kind of challenge yourself and um, just, kind of experience a different part of the world. So they would have stopping points throughout the day that you had to make, you know, like I, I imagine you're not camping on the side well, we, of the road. We would stop to get like coffee. We'd stop to get um, mm. like lunch. And then I mean, we would be riding to a destination Okay, um, because he, he's, he has this, this whole tour all set up. So he has all the stops planned out, you know, everything's arranged. You just show up, he gives you the bike, you throw your helmet on there and he guides you around. Um, and some places you'll stop and you'll get, you know, a lecture on the history of it and the architecture and, you know, kind of the religious significance. Um, and then other places you just stop at a at a bridge and kind of take in the wonder of the Himalayas because, I mean, it is, it is stunning. Huh. And where were all the other people in your group from? Uh, so there's another guy, um, another two, let's see, so Dave and Zane were both from uh, Ohio. And then the other riders were primarily from California, and then one guy from Texas who knows Zane from from Ohio. Well, so, they're all and, from Ohio. And, they're all from the United States. That surprises oh, me. Oh yeah. Well, that that just happened to be that one tour, um, because you know I went because Dave was going. Zane went because Zane actually works for uh, oh, okay. Old Bike Barn, and um, which is the company that Bear owns. And he was just taking it as a vacation, because and he's been a number of times, but he just wanted to do it as a fun trip. He'd just gotten married. Um, the other guys were all, all out of um, an area near Sacramento. And so they kind of knew each other but didn't know each other. They all kind of knew the same people but weren't really friends until the trip. Hmm. Um, and they were, all grew up you know, riding you know, backcountry dirt roads. So they were really right in the sweet spot of, of enjoying the trip, whereas if somebody only rode highways or only rode in the city and, and wasn't really comfortable getting, getting in the dirt and the dust, then they tend to ride a bit slower. Um, so we were actually able to get to our hotel and then we could take, you know, a couple hours of just side trips that they wouldn't be able to take because they were just doing the main trip. So that was, it was just amazing to see the country. What was the scariest moment on the trip? <laughs> I mean. I mean, I'm thinking like you're tight up on, you're tight up on a bus and then it's like 600 foot drop. I mean, that's got to yeah. be up there hitting a uh, water I mean, buffalo or something. No, well, I mean, I think the the thing that you, once you accept, so I mean, my philosophy in life is you're already dead. Oh, like, Jesus none of us, Christ. none of us are getting out of here alive, right? You. Like death is always, death is always going to kill us. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And so that frees you to enjoy everything. So even though it, yes, it may be scary, it, it may be death defying, it may be something else. Um, but I'm, I know I'm not going to live to be 200 years old because nobody's done it. So why not just enjoy every every single day? So yeah, passing a bus. With you know a four hundred foot drop on a crumbling road that yeah that that could be up there if you think about it but if it's just what is the normal existence for other people in life because that's what everyone else in this country does every single day. 
Did you become did you become more spiritual being in Nepal? No. <laughs> that was a fast answer. You gave uh, me these I'm fucking not... long ass answers for everything else, and then I asked you one little quickie, and it's just no, and that's the end of it. Well, because I don't, I don't really, I don't really look at, I don't, I don't look at the world with, in, with a sense of uh, kind of a, a my my sense of the the way I exist in the world and my kind of philosophy is not based on any religion. It's not, or I mean, it's not based on any funny structural yeah, but, kind of but spirituality. Isn't just about like, you know, reading the well, Talmud, no, but, you know, no, 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 yeah, but, but what I, what I try to do is I just try to be really present as much as I can in every moment. Um, and, and it is what it is, whether it's good, whether it's bad, it, it is exactly what that moment is. Um, and so that's what I went to it. Nepal with and that's what I found there so it was the same thing I already existed with. It's interesting that you said being present because as a photographer I mean that's really kind of your the interesting thing about photography it is a snapshot of a particular moment at a particular time a very specific time and how yep. you view it is you view it through the lens of time so you look at the same picture that was taken you know and it hasn't changed over over the course of years it it has different meanings based off of time so when you're, how is it, what is it like being in the present as a photographer in Nepal? Um, well, and because the, the funny thing was, I didn't take this trip as a photographer. I took it as a motorcycle. Right. But you so, took a camera. No. I, I, you didn't I take a phone. camera. I mean, no, I took my phone. I'm shocked. Well, because it's, it's two different, it's two different experiences. If I was going to go as a photographer, I would go solo. I would take as much time as I needed, and I would want to have the moments at the right times of day that would make sense for the light to hit it in the way that I wanted to express it and the way I would see it. Um, and instead, I wanted to go and enjoy it as someone riding through Nepal, experiencing the road, and just being around the people. Um, and so that's the... Like there's a very different distinction between like, so that when my mentality at maker camp is entirely focused on photography and entirely, you know, it's, it's a, it's a process to kind of get my mind to the right place to attend that and to be completely open to everyone's energy. That's, that's coming onto set and I'll kind of craft that space that, that everyone can feel comfortable. Um, and that's just a different mindset than I wanted to have in Nepal. I wanted to just be around the people I was with and not think like, oh, this is really pretty here. And I want to move them into this light here and have this and kind of control that. I just wanted to. Oh, so you know. if you were, so that's the reason it's because yeah. you'd be very controlling of the situation. You wouldn't be able to enjoy yourself. Uh, it would all, it would be around taking a picture and not being present. Huh. Whereas with the portraits, I'm 100% present and I've taken all the factors already out with the setup. And then I can be present with the person that's getting their picture taken, which I hope contributes to why they come out the way they do. Respectfully, that sounds crazy. Yeah, well. No, I'm not, I'm not saying respectfully. No, no. <laughs> I mean, as in like, I would imagine in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, he's got a, like a Leica in his pocket or something. Because like all of a sudden you find yourself in this situation that is just how do you document these, these incredible moments that you've had? You didn't take any that, pictures whatsoever on your iPhone? Yeah, just I mean I just took it on the iPhone, just like a quick snap here or there so I could send, mm. you know, send my family or wow. send uh, you know. Yeah. Wow. It, it, because it wasn't it wasn't 
like a photo safari where I wanted to capture everything because unfortunately, um, the process that I would want to go through, I, you know, I'd want to be there for six months. Right. I'd want to it's too much really. I just want to, I would want to give it an accurate portrayal and you can't do that by just showing up and projecting your, your image on the, on the, the moment. That makes you far more interesting to me because this is this real, it is really that, that trip was such a passion for you, but you were like, it didn't even dawn on you that like, eh, slip a camera in my pocket, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get some nice pictures of the, you know, you really were present. And then that, 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 cause that's the interesting thing about society now is you see people just, you know, you go to a concert and everyone's taking their phones out, you know, instead of, yeah, it's like fucking just listen to the music. Right. Well, people, that's the biggest complaint is people are just like, you're sitting there taking photo, you're taking video of the concert. You're not, unable to be present. You yeah. have given yourself the freedom of being present in life. Yeah. Look at you, Mark Adams. But I, I mean, I also, it's, it's been a journey, obviously. Like I, you know, I haven't, I've, maybe I've been heading this way for a very long time and I, some days I succeed and some days I don't just like everybody. But, um, trying to, you know, because it's so it's like the balance of when you're a commercial photographer and you're in the studio and you're working and you're taking pictures and you're doing the the bulk of the work, which is just you know it's not exciting or it's it's marketing or it's uh, you know billing or retouching or whatever it is, and then you gradually learn to dislike something that you loved and it because it becomes 100 percent of a job and not something that you're passionate about, um, and then you go home and you don't take pictures at home because you don't have that energy in you anymore. So it's like, it's taking those times to just recharge and find out what you love and, and just you know, be aware of the good, the good and the bad in, in your life and just learn to, to, like you said, to be present. And I think that's especially important, you know, these days when there's so many distractions you know, in our relationships and our businesses and all that kind of stuff. So. It makes a lot of sense because, you know, uh, when I was a welder and we were doing a lot of railings, we needed some railings made at our house and I was, I refused to do them. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> right. I, I, this is yeah. not, it's not going to happen. And I do remember, I do at the same time, like if I'm with other friends of mine who are also blacksmiths and bladesmiths or knife makers, I don't feel the need to talk about knife making at all. So I completely understand that ability to like separate yourself out and then just kind of like be present. Well, and like, and like when I first started getting into photography, I looked at everything, you know, I would, yeah sit and sit in a bookstore and I would look through every single photo book and every magazine and just drink it in. And these days I don't, I try to, I mean, I follow maybe a couple of photographers, but not, not many. I'd much rather follow people that are doing something that I'm not doing um, and see their passion for that and just really learn about so many different things instead of being super focused on one thing. Technically I'd rather just learn about life and let that contribute to what how, what I take in my pictures. Hmm. Yeah, it's. I think it's very fascinating about your trip. And a, one more question: Is there anything you ate there that you were like, "This is the best thing I've ever had in my life"? Um, there wasn't a food, but there's a beverage. Go ahead. And it's it's a kind of a sweet almondy saffron drink, and it's in, it comes in a small like eight ounce can. And it is delicious. And I don't know, the brand I think was called Badam, maybe, B-A-D-A-M. Um, and it was just one of those things where, you know, you've 
been smelling dust the entire day and you're like you just want something just a little bit sweet but not carbonated and man saffron and almond that is the ticket what a what a, that's an interesting combination completely as yeah. a as a refreshing beverage and then you would at the end of the day you'd be you know you park your bikes and you go into the hotel and then you clean up and then you come downstairs have some dinner recap everything and get ready for the next day yeah yep sounded like a fun trip for you Oh no, it was it was awesome. It was um it was great to be able to spend uh time with my buddy Dave. Um because especially since I've been kind of jumping back and forth between Portland and, and Cleveland, uh a lot a lot of times I've been uh unable to spend as much physical time with people. I mean I definitely try to keep keep touch online and and social and stuff, but uh being able to kind of, you know, really spend a lot of time and um the great thing about like, you know, I mean I don't know kind of what your experience as being a celebrity at Maker Camp, so you probably don't get enough time by yourself. Knock it off. Uh, <laughs> um, but, I mean, you, you, it, it feels like, you know, from the, from the very beginning, the very first time that I went there to, um, to, to last year's, everybody who goes there, I think, is there for a sense of community and kind of sharing what they love. Because they may be the only blacksmith in their, on their street, their block. Like, you know, they, you're not stepping out, you know, looking at your neighbor and being like, hey, you, I make knives, you make knives. It's, you know, so kind of spread out. And it just feels like you can really, once you get into a group of people that kind of share a passion about one thing, and they can really use that as an element to, to dig into a lot of deeper, you know, emotional conversations or spiritual conversations. And it really frees you up to, to, to connect honestly, I think. My favorite part, one of my favorite parts of Baker Camp was uh hanging out by the fire and actually talking baseball with other blacksmiths and that was to me was like the most fun because we weren't talking about like you know forging and all these different things and getting into the nitty-gritty we were talking about our baseball teams and right. for some reason it was like this commonality that we all knew each other through social media we all knew each other you know talking in the dms or whatever maybe we hadn't met before but then having this other common interest kind of farm was was very uh satisfying that wasn't just about like what we we're not defined by what we do but we can talk about other things you know that was right. what i liked the most now i think because like you guys you know with the modern forge and all those you know the demonstrations and everybody kind of you know you guys may downplay it a little bit but it feels like you guys are a little a little bit rock starish out there um i don't know, you know why you keep saying that I honestly well, because I like, think everybody everybody loves to because it because it's kind of a dramatic it's a dramatic craft right it's not oh yeah boom bang um, yeah a lot of razzle dazzle a lot of razzle exactly <laughs> exactly but you also you get something that's at the end of it is very functional is is very um, applicable in a daily life and has a, a real tactile <laughs> feel so people can buy what you make and really connect with you hopefully you I mean you hope so. I, it, the interesting part about the maker community is the different things, the different uh -huh. processes in order to, you know, express yourself and your passion and stuff like that. And the forging thing, especially as I got older, as I get older, and I've been doing it now, we're up on 15, 16 years of forging. And like, I'm starting to kind of appreciate the past five years. I've been appreciating the philosophy more uh -huh. and it becomes something of more of, you know, you have this material, you have the proper technique and the discipline, you understand that there is a very specific 
order of operations, and there's no going backwards. So it's almost like a, uh, you know, those like those uh, those calligraphy, the the Zen calligraphy, where you have to be very, you're just, you have to be in a kind of a flow state, and you have to move in a certain way, and you're not stopping and looking and looking at your thumb and you know like the artists do so it just becomes something where it's repetition but then it's just very much more of a philosophical thing for me than anything else and you know then you know i mean no offense to woodworkers but i mean you're pushing a piece of wood through a table saw i mean i don't think you're having zen moments you know what i'm saying (laughs) well no offense no offense woodworkers (laughs) no offense woodworkers but i mean you're not having any fucking calligraphic situations when you're pushing a two by four through a fence of a table saw come on um but I, i mean i think so like there's plenty of things that i'll complain about as far as like what i've you know, try, I've done in you know the 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 true commercial side of the business, right? You know because I think you know a lot of times you it's it's production and you're you've got to get so many shots done in a day. You've got to get you know twenty different things to look exactly the same uh, because that's that's the job, right? Where I think and same thing with like blacksmithing, where if you're making you know railing and fences, and here you've got to make a thousand of these because it's got to wrap around the entire property. That teaches you to do something very efficiently and very fast um, and to, to get it exactly the same every single time. It gives you a focus of having to be proficient um, that I don't think can be always understood by someone who doesn't do it every day. Yeah. And, and there's, this, there's also the strange dilemma of is it the art and passion and what's, the, 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 what's more beneficial, the art and passion or the ability to kind of like figure out a way to be as efficient and commercial as possible? Because I think they have to actually, I think in, in an ideal situation, I think they're both working in concert. They are working in concert, but what for me, I wouldn't have been able to do Fader Knives if it weren't for the fact that I spent years in a production blacksmith shop doing the same thing every day. Right. You know, and being able to kind of transfer that, you know, that ability to do that into sculpture. My sculpture changed because I was able to learn how to not have to worry about things being fun. And I knew understood the understanding, like on your on your motorcycle ride, you know at the end of the day you gotta get to a certain destination. It's the same thing with you know, all these things, you have a certain deadline to meet and, and embracing those deadlines and then trying to make yourself efficient. So you make those deadlines allows you to become more proficient to make your art better. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to touch on two things. Go ahead. I see I'll set you I, up, Mark. Yeah, I knew you had things to go on. I know what I'm doing here, Mark. Come on. I know. I, which is why you're one of the, one of my favorite podcasts. Well, you're, 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 in the, you're easily in the top Top ten, probably top five. I will say this so. with with humbleness and and um, gratefulness and humility. In the but maker community, in the maker community, I'm the best podcast in the maker community. <laughs> or knife talk, full blast or knife talk, top five in the maker community. Period. I mean, I think like and, and there's such different personalities to the two podcasts. Uh, yeah, I listened. I I really enjoy kind of the back and forth and the ball busting that you guys have on on knife talk, but. I really find that, um, and this is one of the reasons why I asked you to do the panel discussion uh, last year, and I'm going to ask you to do it again. I'm going to try and get some more guests this time. Um, I think you really have the opportunity to spread the internal thought process of different makers within the community. So it's not just looking at, 
oh, they make this cut or they bang this deal. You know, it's like, but why do they do? Why do they make those choices? I'll tell you, we're gonna we have to talk about the panel discussion because we're gonna have to. You and I can do some back office conversation about the next panel discussion because I can tell you what I didn't like about this last one. You didn't like it with the uh, ATVs going outside a tent. Give me being five. Like Thirty-five degrees. Pull what you got. Give me five. <laughs> Give me five because I'm gonna pull my fucking hair out in a second. I, I, for me, the most important thing about podcasts, and I've said it a million times, I'm fucking saying it again. A lot of people want to be go on to po- be podcasters because they want to be Joe Rogan or they want to be famous or they want to be. I remember what radio did for me. And I understand the idea of keeping someone company. And part of that keeping company is being entertaining, being engaging and stuff like that. So when I had full blast, it originally, the first five episodes, I did it by myself. And I'm like, I can't talk to myself. Fucking, I can't talk to myself forever. I mean, that's ridiculous. So then I had people talking, talking and I, and I had the, the conscious decision to not do what most podcast interviewers do, which is interrogate their guests. That is not good. And most podcasters or people getting into podcasting, they do interrogation. And it's just like, it's just awful for the everybody and, and even the listener. So what I try to do is I try to create a, a relationship between the, the interviewer and the, and, the, and the interviewee. And the, the, I want people to be able to relate to them. So I don't want people to, to think about all the equipment. I have this power hammer and I have this milling machine. Who cares? It's like, I want you to have this. I want you to say, oh, I, I, I recognize that behavior in what I do. And then all of a sudden it becomes more recognizable and that's what happens. So when we did the, when we did the maker, I was very honored that you picked me to run this, um, the the maker camp episode. And it's back in the uh, last October, we had the maker camp. Um, Mark put together this great uh, panel discussion with Andrea De Leon, Leah Arapach, Keith Decent, and Josh Prince, and it was a lot of fun. Except for me. I had a real hard time with the audio and that's my yeah. own fault. And and it's my own fault because it was like we couldn't find a place that was quiet and it was freezing cold and I was like trying not to look at people's faces because I didn't want to be distracted and I want to keep the ball rolling. And then you hear the goddamn ATVs outside. No offense to Maker Camp. I mean, you got ATVs and obviously we couldn't find a place that was quiet and that's just the way it is. If we do it this year, it's we have to figure something else out. Otherwise, it's just like it's a tough listen, you know. Right. Well, but the I know conversation Austin just was very built good. out that that new space, so maybe we could do it in there. We'll figure something something out. I I need yeah. a little bit more time to kind of like be. It was a great conversation because it was just all about creativity and hearing yeah. four different people from four different um, avenues really speaking the same language. That became what was really interesting, and and they're all top of their game. So it was really kind of interesting to to hear how people deal with creativity, execute creativity, and I'll do it again. But I mean, we gotta find a better place. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and and one that's definitely warmer because yeah. that was cold. I mean, that was brutal. That was brutal. I just remember leaving. I packing everything up, and I actually I packed up all the wires. I just opened that box up for the first time since the Maker Camp, and it is like a fucking rat's nest. I wanted to get <laughs> out of there, there so fast. I wanted yeah. to get out of that. It was so goddamn cold. It is a rat's nest. So we will definitely have to figure something out. So what other points did you want to touch upon? I know you have some. Uh, you're very. Uh, you, one of the things about Mark Adams, if you don't know, is that he is very interested in creativity and other artists and stuff like that so i want to i know you wanted to grill me a little bit so feel free what the fuck with the colored handles what do you mean 
Why color? That's a good question. Uh, like you asked me the, about black the and delivery, white, so let's turn the, that around. I, I'm going to respectfully, the delivery was a little bit surprising. Yeah, but, respectfully, Jeff, what, what the fuck about yeah, the color? But the, I, mean, but, I mean, the delivery was questionable, but the question's good. I mean, for me, well, a couple things. One is, is when I first started making sculpture, it was all steel sculpture in college. Like, I didn't sure. even think to paint sculpture. I didn't even think to paint steel. It was all welded steel, and I just thought steel is meant to be steel, and that's just the way it is. And I always had a problem painting steel because I felt like sometimes painted steel doesn't look appropriate. It looks like an afterthought. So for the most part, I, I try to be as thoughtful as possible in regards to uh, what I do, and I try to be also be able to articulate the decisions. So once I was like, I was in this metal shop for a long time, and then I had my own studio in Brooklyn, and there was steel, it was steel everywhere, and it was February, and it was freezing, and everything was gray, and I had done all these colorful lure sculptures back in college, and I was just like, and they were selling, like I had, a t I had two galleries selling them. So right. I and I love those, by the way. They're I'm actually fun. really, really impressed. They're with them. fun, and they're they're still evolving, and I don't know where they're going with them. But what happened was, is they were a way for me to kind of make some vibrated, uh, vibrating colors in my disgusting, dark, and scary shop, and they were great. And they were the concept of the lure is very interesting because it is it's it's less for the fish and more for the consumer. Frankly, oh, if you ever go right. to like a, a fishing a lure department in a store, I mean they, these fucking things don't look like fish half of them look like <laughs> right. you know something and they're named nothing like they're crazy they're totally crazy so i love that i love that aspect of it so when i started to do the knives the other thing is is my wife is a color fanatic and she has really become i hate to say muse just because it's just so get it's so lame but i but but i it's like she said she would she's kind of my muse in terms of color she always has extraordinary color in her clothing and then that she's really kind of really got me deep into color and we've kind of like bumping into each other in terms of color so um i really wanted to do more color the other thing is is like i had to figure out ways in which to separate myself out as a knife maker and because i had such a, a strong relationship with color with my sculpture i thought why can't i do the same thing i should be doing what i know and that was color so the answer is is i it it comes from the same place. I think the knives oh. and the sculpture come from the same place. It's not it's not a departure, but like a kind of like a step away from a step to, a step in the same direction. And I think that color far is far more interesting. And you know, I, I you got to figure out a way to just not not you know. I love color, and 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 it's underappreciated. And you know. So half these knife makers are hacks. You know, yeah, I gotta figure. I gotta figure. <laughs> Throw in some more stones. I mean, I. Here's the woodworkers is, now. Some what do you think? Makers? This is the first. You think this is my first rodeo? I take shots all the time. Half these motherfuckers are just like grabbing some wood and sticking it on. I, I, I feel as though for me, the handle is is, is as important as the knife, and there should be oh, some absolutely. sort of like, why can't if you're gonna do all this work to forge this beautiful blade, you're gonna forge Damascus, and then you just slap on some wood. It's just like, well. Well, why don't you do something else? So for me, it was like I'm doing something else, and then the handle is as important as the blade, and they have this kind of relationship together. So that's your answer to why the fuck about the color. There you go. Go ahead, keep <laughs> okay. going. That was a that was uh, a pretty good answer, wasn't it? No, that was good because I because I definitely think like there's as part of the creative discussion that we had at the the panel discussion. I think I want people to 
take a second and think about the choices they're making. Um, just from an aesthetic point, from a functional standpoint, just think it like take a step back, stop making something, and just think about why you're making it or how it's going to be used or all the flair and the extra stuff sometimes I think takes away from from what people are doing and they kind of get dist- they distract themselves. Um, and that's like one of the things I think I love about like Josh Prince's stuff is like when you pick that knife up, it feels like you're holding air. Like the balance is so perfect. And it's obviously something he's paying a tremendous amount of attention to and not getting distracted with, with other kind of flashy things. Um, but it's the whole process of thinking why you're starting something, the materials you're choosing, all those things. I think those are great discussions to have. And I think a podcast is a great place to have it. I think sometimes in a process video of somebody making something, it's maybe it takes up a lot of time. Um, but when you're working on stuff, it's great to listen to what other people's thought processes are. Well, here's here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing about knife making is a lot of knife makers have an experience. They're ex- knife making is awesome and it's great and I love it. And it's and, and people who do it love it. And one of the reasons why is it's very approachable. There's, a, there's reasons why it's approachable. Number one, they're useful. Number two, they're small. You can hold them in your hands. You don't need a truck to pick them up. You know, the, the, there's something that's very intimate about being able to pick something up, you know, and, and use it. The other thing is, is the, the, it's not an expensive, it's not an expensive way to start this process. Ultimately, it's not, you know, it's not as expensive as you think. But the issue is, is like once you figure out how to do it, a lot of times there are people who don't understand that it's good to be able to explain why you do things. And that's what I learned from um, art school uh, or taking art, being an art major is you can't just say I did it because it's cool. You have to be able to explain the decisions that you've made. And it doesn't become, it isn't, I make a joke saying knives aren't art. It really isn't, that's some bullshit. But at the same time, it like it's working for me, so I'm going to stick with it. It's working for me, so I'm going to stick with it. But it's really like when you look at art. It's almost like, is it successful? Is it successful or not successful? And the question that is asked, is it successful or not successful, is is the artist expressing themselves in the way that the viewer is understanding it? To be, are you expressing yourself clearly and you're getting it across? That's really the issue. So when, when you talk about Josh Prince, Josh Prince's dad was a, a professor at the Rhode Island School of Design. He grew up in the sculpture world. He went to art he went to art shows all the time, grew up in art shows. He had a table saw in his kitchen. His dad parents were making sculpture in the kitchen while they're making dinner. He knew nothing other than making art. So he was able to, and his father was a professor at Rhode Island School of Design, one of the greatest art schools in the United States. So he learned at a young age how to talk about art and express himself. So now he's, I mean, he's really like. I mean, you want to talk about the unicorn. I mean, he's has, I mean, seriously. I mean, he's one of the greatest, he's probably one of the most important uh, bladesmiths in America in terms of his success as a, his technical abilities and his creative decisions. Like there's not a lot of guys like him. And, and, but at the same time, he's able to express himself and it becomes, it isn't a question of whether or not it's art or not. It's a question of if he's being successful expressing himself. There you go. I mean, I think, and I think also the, like, so you have some people that have an environment where they were raised to be creative and other people are finding their creativity later in life. So they just haven't developed that dialogue. Right. Um, and I think 
so one of the things that I think is really important is to, to keep looking at things from a little further afield than you might normally think. Like if you're a woodworker, you know, maybe look at something else. Because like I said, I don't really like looking at photographers because I see the mistakes they made or I make the choices that had to be made because of the medium or whatever it is. But you know, I was I was watching this uh, a YouTube video about Andrew Wyeth and the, the Helga paintings. And there's a, it's a short film, I think maybe 15 minutes maybe, um, from the Atlantic called, uh, I think, My, The Secret Muse. And it talks about the relationship between the person sitting for the portrait and the, the artist painting it. And when you look at the detail that he put into this and how much time it took, because he wasn't painting from pictures, he was painting from the model sitting there right. hour after hour. And it's just stunning to see the, the level of detail. And you're also spending that time with that person. And so you're getting, you're adding, you know, a different color here or there. And so you're making all those choices. But he was raised, his father, you know, N.C. Wyeth was a foundational illustrator of the 20th century. And to grow up in that environment and that, it's, I would be surprised if you did anything else but that, unless you rejected it completely and did something not that way, but to imagine growing up in a household like that, you know, same thing with Josh Prince, with having it all around you, and that's your, your plaything as a table saw. For me, I grew up, my father's a painter. Still to this day, I have not met another painter that I appreciate in terms of his painting style. I never met another painter who I'm just like, yeah, that guy's... My dad was an extraordinary painter. Like a really, after World War II, he got the GI Bill and he learned and he went to uh, Parsons School of Design, and then ended up studying painting in Paris. And he was a really good painter, really good painter, very gestural. He was allowed the paint to be the paint. He painted with uh, palette knives, and he, he he his his his. I mean, he was no Bob Ross, but okay. He hated Bob Ross. He, I'm telling you, he caught me watching Bob Ross one time and fucking, I mean, I might as well have been watching pornography. Like, I'm Correct. serious. He was furious with me. He, and he told me that Bob Ross is ruining art. And the reason because why... Because he's making it accessible? No, he's not making it accessible. He's, he's eliminating people's creative uh, abilities. And what he's doing is he's doing, he's doing these uh, gimmicks in order okay. in order to he would say to me he's like this is not painting this is he's teaching you gimmicks you have your palette knife and you move it a certain way and then it makes the water he's like that is that is killing the creative spirit of the artist so what's interesting but i mean i mean there's definitely some things that you could throw that around and well every kind of... you take it for a grain of salt if it gets people creative yeah. it gets people creative but at the same time sure. he was a very decorated painter and he just saw it and was like i don't want you picking up this pizzeria art <laughs> you know, I, don't, I don't and he didn't say pizzeria art but it's like you right. start going to pizzerias all of a sudden it's like bob ross had influence on pizzeria art so what 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 my my old man was such a good painter i was complete and i would paint with him and he would try to he wasn't a, not a very good teacher so it was really hard for me sure. to kind of understand how to paint well and i just yeah. decided that it was like too intimidating to try to be a painter. I thought I was going to be a painter. When I went to, when I went to college, I thought I was going to take some painting class. I'm going to be a painter. But then I felt like it's too intimidating. My dad was too good and very critical. And this is, I can't express myself 
and be in the shadow of my father as a painter. And my sisters are painters too. And then we all fight about it because I still say to this day, I mean, he's an awesome painter and they hate admitting that it, they won't admit it. They're like, he, he wasn't that good. And we'd have these real knockout drag out fights about painting styles. And, and then it got sometime it get ugly. <laughs> like my, I said, you know, I said, and we would, the weird thing is, is my father was extraordinary at painting architecture. Like architecture was his thing. Like it was, he wasn't regular landscapes. It was like architectural landscapes. So he could draw a painting of down the street and his last years living, they would spend time in, uh, he and his wife would spend time in San Miguel de Allende, which is a very big artist community in Mexico. And they would get him an easel and they'd plop him down in a corner with some water and they'd check on him every so often. And he would just paint down the street and he was really, really good at it. He couldn't paint people though. Like that was the one thing. Like he, for some reason, I mean, it's crazy. He could not paint a person if you fucking, if you paid him, put a gun to his head. It would be a stick figure it was crazy but like his, his well there's i mean you know with i mean you're not i you suck to make the stuff that you make my paintings suck like, by the way yeah. my paintings are all gimmicks by the way so just to let well, you know well okay i mean so the, then this is a this is a good opportunity to, to kind of split go ahead the, the the maker community between the the woodworkers and the and the uh, the metal artists as you've been trying to do the entire go ahead uh, entire podcast go ahead um there's such a different mindset between those two materials just because of the how the material functions and how it's used and so in in much the same way that someone painting a building can't paint a person it's it's a a difference in personality of the of the artist and so i think that you know someone who makes knives could also potentially make a beautiful dining table but there's such different materials yeah. to master each one requires a different kind of sensitivity to it yes of um, course and so in much the same way that one okay so one of the things that is really i have a certain amount of i don't want to say disdain go ahead say but, disdain let's say disdain i'm saying you're saying disdain just okay. say respectfully behind it, and then it's yeah. all it's it's you can say it with disdain. Just say respectfully, and then you say it, and then it's it's all uh, nullified. Because uh, okay, so respectfully, <laughs> if if you haven't had to make the initial choice of choosing a film, whether it's going to be black and white or color, you haven't had to go down the decision tree that once you've made that initial decision, how it's going to look at the end. So it's I. I know that every single person now shooting their camera shoots it in color and then they throw a black and white filter on there. But it's not, you haven't been taught to see how the light works across the material or how it can be shaped or how it is crafted um, and all the detail that can be available in black and white. And I feel like that would be like the Bob Ross of painting in your dad's view is just slapping a filter on something and calling it an Ansel Adams print. Oh, I do that shit all the time. I think I did that last week. I think I did that Ugh. last week. I think I threw some, I think I throw some black and white filters on some shit every so often on, on uh, full blast podcast on Instagram. But so when you, if you were, when you're taking your picture, when you're taking the next picture, this is just everybody out there. Go ahead. When you're taking your next picture, Imagine that picture in black and white and see how the light changes visually for you, how you start to focus on the edge light coming through and shaping an object and kind of creating a roundness or a flatness in an object. That's, that's what will 
make people's photography so much better as just understanding what that's going to do. Um, and because if I take a picture that I want it to be in color, I'm looking at how the light is interacting with the subject differently than I am if I know it's going to be in black and white. And it, it definitely, it, it's not that it's, I just feel like people can, can do such a, a better thing that is, is more expressive for themselves. And just having that, oh, I'm going to slap a high contrast filter on that, a little black and white, or maybe I'm going to put a really saturated color on this. And it becomes kind of cartoony yeah. when it's just a trick. It's just like throwing glitter on something that doesn't need glitter. See, I have to do those. I have to do that when I when I take pictures of, of my knives, front fader knives, because like... I have to knife taking pictures of knives are tough because like if you want the you want the outside light you want the natural light but if the sky is too blue and you take a picture of the knife then the blade is blue because it's reflecting the sky and then you have to bounce the light and it's I hate it frankly but at the same time it's just like that's my fucking game I, I gotta and you gotta take a good enough picture of that when the customer gets the knife they're not like this isn't what you fucking took a picture of this isn't what sure. you sent me. Well, okay, so like, like that's a perfect example of it. So, if you if you if you go back to the, you know, going back to your dad being a painter and things like that, if you looked at his paintings or any paintings in architecture, the shadows are going to be related to whatever color the sky is, and and one that's going to be in a realistic mode. So there's going to be a little blue in all the shadows that are painted in every single painting that's supposed to be outside, or if it's in a forest, there's going to be a little green in there because that's what we're seeing is you're seeing the reflection in the shadow. So from a technical standpoint, if you just take a giant big piece of white card and put it above your knife, you're going to cut a lot of that out, but you'll still have a reflective material that's going to put white into the blade. Is that a bounce? Yes. All right. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. What else you got, Mark? Because I know you got a list. We were, we're, uh, I want to I make sure you, you feel as though you've asked them the questions you need to ask. Well, uh, let's see. Let, let me let me shuffle my note paper here and kind of see everything that I've, I've tried to to write down. Go ahead. Um, so this this so getting into the into the process of the of the portraits because I mean uh, that's kind of what the maker community does, and a lot of people that are makers are going to be listening to this. And you know, I'm absolutely honored that they want to have me take their picture, and I think. You know, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again: is is it really is a collaboration and a conversation with with the people that take the time to to stop by and get a portrait? And I really want to just make sure that everybody knows how thankful I am for being uh, allowed to to do that work. Well, thank you, thank you. Are you? Was that all you're going to say? Well, I mean, I, I thought you had. I, mean, I thought you had was, things to say. I thought you had. Well, you know, I wanted. I wanted a soft play, and then I'll start throwing throwing some daggers now. Well, so, I mean, I mean, I, I was going to say respectfully. I mean, they 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 don't. You don't charge them. You don't charge them. So it's like you know, they're very grateful. Yes, but it's it's not. I mean, it's it's more of a, it, the the. So you know, let I, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a second and kind of kind of jump around a little bit as far as and it, and I don't want this to sound like in a woo-woo kind of way. Go ahead. Because that that is I think if you've met me, you know one hundred percent that I'm not a woo-woo kind of no problem. wearing crystals around my oh, neck kind boy. of thing. Okay, go ahead. I mean yeah. Because I I've come from a very, very pragmatic, very uh realistic family. And the I mean it is 
in, you know, and I'll say this again, meeting people is the best part of this job and giving, getting the opportunity to have a window for five minutes of talking to somebody into their life, into what they do professionally, what they do as a maker, what, you know, their relationships, the places they've seen, whatever is their fire and their passion and being able to talk to them about that. Like that is really a true blessing. Um, and I think, so like, you know, we can go back and forth, like the, the debate of uh, craftsmen versus artists. Right. And I've never, I've never looked at myself as an artist. Um, I've always looked at myself as a craftsman um, because of the way I approach the work technically. Um, but, you know, I was having a conversation on, um, on Dave Bauer's podcast and I kind of came up with the idea that for me, the, the art, if I am an artist in any way, is it's creating the emotional space for somebody to feel accepted and seen as, as I'm talking to them and I'm taking their picture. And I feel like that's, that's really the, the craft of what I do. And the, just the, if there isn't, you know, a skill that I've developed, I, I hope that that is one that I'm able to continue using. That's a, that is an incredibly important part of, of being a photographer. Speaking to my buddy Nico once again is he knows how to make someone feel comfortable. And when you know how to make someone feel comfortable, you're going to get the best out of them. I mean, that's what I try to do on this podcast where I try to make my guests comfortable and then hopefully they're going to say something they don't normally say. So I, <laughs> no, that's true. So yeah, it's 100% sure. true. I mean, that's what you do. You're very disarming when you're very kind, you're funny, you're nice. You, you know, you bust balls when you have to and you, you know, but at the same time, it's you make people comfortable enough to be the person that they are in order for you to get what you want out of them. And that, I mean, that's what I do here. Well, speaking of speaking of busting Go calls, that during the last one, the um, the the crew from from Brunt uh, came up on set, and there were five or six of them. And man, that was the best five minutes of ball busting. I I laughed so hard, and they had they had a great time. Um, such such wonderful guys, and they they were nice enough to send me a couple of baseball hats later, and that was that was really awesome. Shout out to Brunt; they sent me a pair of boots. Yeah, they're awesome, awesome. Very I, cool. I haven't actually tried their boots yet. They did a limited edition black one for, I don't know, a year or two ago. I really wish, I'm, I'm waiting for the next set of black ones to come out. Because that's your whole, you, you go black. All your clothes yeah, are black. I do. Why is that? <sighs> um, it's easy to get dressed in the dark. Um, it's easy to get dressed in the dark. That's a dumbass. Come on. <laughs> no, because honestly, like honestly, like it's you easy know, to get dressed in the dark. As a fucking photographer, as a working photographer, when you're working, getting up shooting sun sunset shots, you're getting dressed in the fucking dark, whether it's on location or whatever it is. And so, if I'm traveling, I try to throw. And I learned this from a stylist. She, if she's on a work trip that she's traveling, she puts all the same color clothes in her bag for that week. So if she's Dressing all in white one week, all in pink one week, all in black one week. So everything matches. She gets a wide variety of outfit changes um, and it, everything all looks good. So that's your styling tip of the day. Wow. I, I just don't believe that you'd get dressed in the dark. I mean, that just seems, I mean, you know, you don't have a light, you don't have a lamp by their, your... uh, you know, because, you know, and, and it's also because, you know, working a lot in, uh, in studios and stuff like that, you don't want to show up in reflections. Right. And, and cast on the product stuff. So, cause I've done a, you know, just a tremendous amount of that stuff. So that's once you've kind of made that decision, it's just easy, easier to shop in one palette. You had, you told me you had a whole list of other questions you wanted to address. Well, I wanted, I wanted to, uh, I wanted a, to mention the, um, 
kind of that mask challenge that I kind of threw out there Go a ahead. couple days ago. Um, I'm kind of curious what kind of uh, what kind of mask you're going to put together for that because uh, I want them all to be personal. Explain, I want them to be something like explain the challenge. Uh, so I, you know, for the broader maker community, whether you're coming to maker camp or not, you know, because I know a lot of people won't won't be, but a lot of people that will be. Um, I was sitting around the other day and I was just kind of scrolling through Instagram and um, some carved wooden masks, some some antique stuff had shown up, um, and I was really struck by how every culture has had these representations of what they find valuable or personal expressions of themselves or whether it's uh, spiritual or whether it's um, some kind of protection or any of that kind of thing i was and you know makers have so many different materials they have that it would be a really interesting addition to the portraits that i make there to take pictures of people in their masks um, kind of as a representation of their inner life of how they see themselves it, or just have fun with it. Make it bright and colorful and, you know, the flashing or shooting lasers or whatever it is. The mask's interesting because when I was, when I was, uh, when I was a senior, I had the ability to do my senior study and, like, create my own class. So I wanted to make my own sculpture class. And I was talking to my professor about making a class, and I decided I was going to make a class on masks. So it was the whole – it was just an independent study. So are you going to repurpose some of those? No, I don't have – I have I – don't, I don't think I even have any here. But I, right. but I don't even, I think, actually, frankly, I think they were, they were all destroyed. I had a strange situation where my father's wife took all my old sculpture and fucking threw it all out, burned it. Burned <laughs> She'd it. asked you to move it one too many no, times. No, 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 I wasn't okay. there and they all ended up in a dump. So yeah. uh, that was, so a lot of my old college stuff is gone. It's all gone. So um, I did a whole, I, the whole concept of them, the mask. And when I when uh, when we do Halloween stuff, my wife and I get involved, get invited to these uh, couples Halloween parties all the time. And I, all I want to wear is something where I can't, where you can't see myself, can't see my face. So right. I'm very interested in in that whole concept. Now, in regards to what I do, I'm a, not a participator. Sometimes, my man. Oh I mean, my Respectfully, God. I'm a fucking bad participator. Like I, I, I uh, we'll see. Maybe we'll see. Maybe I can get shied into it. I, you, I mean, if anyone can chide me into it, it's you. So okay, you got the mask challenge. If you're listening to this, you're going to make your cam next year. You're going to make yourself a mask. And then what else? What else you got? Uh, well, so so one of the makers that comes every year and does a lot of stuff, um, Paul Mayette. He does the Hot Wheel stuff. Okay. And so he like, you know, he'll he'll do different customizations of them. And, and I know he's done some like trucks for Jimmy and things like that. Well, you know, I feel like since he, he gives such so much back to that community, I think it'd be great if, you know, we all showed up with a Hot Wheels. So he went home with like 500 Hot Wheels and just overwhelmed with having to get a new bin or two. All right. So I bring Hot Wheels just to give back. I think it'd yeah. be fun to, you know, just have fun with it. OK, but I thought you had a, you told me you had a whole list of topics that you wanted to touch upon, Mark Adams. Hold on, I wrote real too. I wrote too small, and I got to uh, you know I got I got to scroll through these things. I'm not a professional like you, Jeff. Well, I mean, and I don't know what you keep touching. Oh, that there was there was a there was a comment that you had made a while back about um, I believe another knife maker or two is inspired by your work, and I was looking to see how you dealt with that. Well, here's the, here's the, it's interesting because I, I have different opinions on it and, and it's, and it changes based off of, 
It depends. I, I think about it a lot. So when you first start making knives, a lot of times you make based on what you see and what you know. Because, I mean, obviously you're not inventing something. This isn't like abstract sculpture where you're just coming at it something out of your... It has to have a... There has to be certain guidelines for it to work. So you gravitate towards styles of other people. So I found myself... Um, I found myself being emulated and at the, in the beginning it wasn't such a big deal, but then all of a sudden it was like people were going into business making my knives. Right. And it, it didn't bother me until it bothered me using same terminology, using same uh -huh. expressions. And when I talked to Pat Quinn a couple of weeks ago in regards to the amount of time he takes in order for him to do things. I mean, I feel the same way. I mean, my knives have evolved from, they come from a place. Like I have a, you know, a, a lineage in terms of the designs that I know where everything came from. Like I have a wall of templates and sometimes the templates kind of merge and sometimes, and there, so, so there's like years of yeah, you put research. In the the there's yeah. years of research. And then when you put something up, uh, up on online and then someone just starts basically just retrofitting it to their own desire once a time it's okay two times it's okay three times and then you're starting to like you know not credit and focus on other people in the culinary world and then you're just like look what i can do hey you know and then put it you know try to like market towards these you know same people that i'm marketing to to towards you it's hard to not be irritated so what it made me have to do was made me have to kick in my heels in when you ask me why do i do the color so i do all the color lab stuff because it's like you know i have to kind of separate myself out to a certain degree too got and create your own style so it's irritating but at the same time it's like it also forces you to be a little bit more creative now i also have you know i have people who don't want the garish colors i have people who are just right. like someone some wood handles and stop with the nonsense and i do that too um i think it's very important to for me to say am i an artist or am i a craftsman will they both merge and how do i deal with both of them and you know it's it's a it's an ongoing topic of conversation but what i do feel well I'm empathetic to i'm empathetic to other creative people who have put the time and energy to create something and then uh -huh. they put it out there for people to see. And when they get like ripped, it can hurt. And, and it hurts in a way of like, you feel as though you're being stolen from, but it, but is this, is this something that's going to happen? Of course you have to learn also to be a little bit tougher too. So that's sure. Well, I think, I think it's also, it's a little bit maybe different in like a pure art world where you're like, Oh, well then that's kind of somebody looks at that and they're like, well, that was obviously influenced by that. And then other times you look at kind of a product design thing where your things are so quickly knocked off by, uh, lax enforcement of say copyright laws or, you know, things like that design, uh, can be such a personal thing that when you see something that's you've spent, you know, like you said, you've you put a year you're designing something and doing you know thirty different prototypes of something, and then you see something that gets made the next week that looks almost like that, and then sold for half the price. You're like, well, that is fucking. That feels like that. It feels like an insult. Well, here's here's something that happened recently. I've been fooling around with color and different ways in which to 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 do things, and I came up with a knife that I love. It looks 
to me, just too close enough to Florentine kitchen knives, their stacked handles, that I'm not going to do it. I actually am going to do this one, and I'm going to give it to Tomer when I get to Florence, Florentine kitchen Uh knives. But I'm not going to, this will not be something that I do. Because, you know, even though it's not, it isn't inspired by his work, there are things that are similar enough that I'm like, I have too much respect, and I'm not going to go there. Um, I also don't. When I think that's the important part of it, I think it is definitely. A well, but it's also like I mean, my watercolor. You know, I've been getting. Uh, I get hit up probably once every other week. I d- used to take notes, and then I would do the drawings of the notes of other people's work. And I made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to sell other people's information, and, and to the oh. point where I was offered a lot. I was offered money for a book to do. Um, these all the watercolors of all the stuff I've done from I got Lynn Ray stuff in there I got uh, I got axe makers hammer makers blacksmiths and and I and I say it I won't do it and it's because I don't feel comfortable making money off other people's work the only prints I do are off of the the research that I've done and the making the knives that I've done and it's like it becomes something of like you know, just being respectful. You know, I can make, I mean, if I wanted to be, you know, I wanted Fader Knives to be better, I could have kept making knives for my friend who, my Food Network friend who died. Uh, when Carl Ruiz passed away, he and I were making knives. I had to push away, I probably pushed away $100,000 worth of business alone uh-huh. after he died because I retired the comp, I retired the design only because I just didn't feel right about doing it. And, and at certain points, there are certain points where, you have to make that decision of whether or not it's worth it or not. Is the juice worth the squeeze? And I, for me, I don't want to burn bridges and make people feel as though I wouldn't want people to think that I'm stealing from them. So I don't know why other people would want me to feel like they're that make me feel like they're stealing from me. So you just got to, it's weird. The knife making game is weird. I mean, you, you don't, you want to encourage people. You want to teach them tricks and tips and shit like that. Then they make your shit. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, you taught them how to do it. So what are you mad about? You know, there's, it's a, it's well, not easy. Like, it's not an easy yeah. situation. Right. But like you and Pac-Man had a conversation in the, one of the last episodes with him, which, and I really, you know, his interviews are some of the most amazing ones to listen to on, on that. So thank you for, for bringing him to a wider audience. He's a smart fucking guy and he's thoughtful. No, he's very absolutely. thoughtful. Yeah. Very thoughtful. I, I mean, I definitely look forward to, to, to meeting him someday. I think that'd be an awesome. I also guy. put him in waters that he doesn't necessarily want to go in. And I appreciate the, <laughs> I appreciate the yeah. fact that he, I appreciate the fact that he trusts me enough yeah. to push him in those some fucking deep waters. There's some deep waters where I'm pushing him in where he's like, he's giving me while we're talking, he's giving me like the, the fingers, a little across, bit of a side the eye. fingers across the throat. Like, let's not go yeah. farther more in here. So like, yeah, he, you know, I, I respect what, where he comes from. He, 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 and I said this in the last episode, he's the most interesting in terms of being able to follow the, the, the progression of an artist. Well, I think it, each, artist craftsman however you want to term that that you have hopefully you have your own journey that that informs what you do and how you do it and there is really no way to to not be influenced by the people that you hang out with that you talk to that you that you look at online um but i think i ideally you're able once you get to that step that you've looked at it all and you've kind of made what is important to you you can find your own voice and that I think is probably what maybe feels like is being stolen is your own voice. The hardest part is, is if you can make your own sculpture and no, I had people making my sculpture for a while. 
there were a couple guys making my sculpture for a while, which was really annoying. If you yeah. could make sculpture and then you could be financially happy making the sculpture, that would be one thing. The knife making makes it commercially viable to be creative for me. So I'm able to be far more financially uh, independent making knives than I'm making sculpture. That's just the way it is. You know, and I. Well, you can invest in more Nick jerseys now. Right, right, right. Well, that's coming to, speaking of commercially viable, I'm going to have some fucking, I just ordered some blue and orange Fader Knives t-shirts, so keep your eye out. Yeah, because I just saw that post out. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was all of a sudden, yes, funny enough, I was listening to the Knicks game. The Knicks are up. They're up after, as of yesterday, after Sunday, uh, they they were up two games to one. This is important for New York, the New York Knicks, because they never make it out of the first round of the playoffs. And then I was saying to my wife, I'm listening to the game on Sunday, and I'm like, if the Knicks win, maybe I can get my guy to make Knicks-colored T-shirts in time. But if they lose, is it worth it? It was very funny. But it was talking about com- being commercial or not. You know, because you're gonna go out, you're gonna be selling them out of a uh, the back of your car. No, 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 I'm not that much of a flea bag. I do that at, at Maker Camp. <laughs> That's for Maker Camp. <laughs> out of the back of the car is for Maker Camp. So, what's the takeaway, Mark Adams? What's the takeaway? Uh, I mean, I think I think ideally, every you know, because I meet so many people, and that's like one of the things that is so interesting is because everyone comes from a different background, um, to, especially in the maker community. And, and I really like to see how people have entered this community, been supported by this community, and then are able to find their own voice and then share that with other people. And I think it's so rewarding for them to be able to have that outlet uh, creatively. It's, you know, because a lot of this, you know, you, at Maker Camp or other other maker events, a lot of people aren't making money from making. They just are passionate about it and they love it so much. Um, so I, I, it's nice to see that that kind of energy, that enthusiasm for it. Mark Adams, Mark Adams pictures on Instagram. He's the guy who's going to make you look semi-human. You know, some of you, <laughs> some of you guys. I mean, you come in, you come into Maker Camp looking rough, and he doesn't. He he trims away all that fat and all. He trims away all the wrinkles and the and the no sleep he'll make you look good guys mark adams it's always a pleasure talking with you i appreciate your uh your generosity your kindness your good humor thank you very much well thanks and thanks for having me on and uh, i'll be on anytime you ask well we're gonna have you back on for sure no question about it and we're gonna have to talk whether or not how we're gonna do uh maker camp next year the next year because like i'm gonna pull my fucking hair out <laughs> if it's gonna be like <laughs> if we're gonna be in a goddamn tent again with a with the motorcycles running fast every five minutes and guys walking so what's going on in here it's i can't i can't you know we'll figure something out guys go follow mark adams mark adams pictures on instagram you know him support him and go see him in maker camp go to maker camp this year i'm sure he's gonna beat other maker events go see him tell him you heard him here tell him you appreciate what he does because he ain't charging you flea bags don't worry about that guys we're gonna see you next week i got a great guest next week i always have good guests mark's coming back at some point for sure and uh, we'll see you next week thank you again mark all right have a good one this show is brought to you by the makery the podcast network for makers (laughs) 